You're listening to sermon audio from Piperton Baptist Church in Piperton, Tennessee. For more information on how you can get connected with PBC, please visit www.pipertonbaptist.com. All right, turn with me to Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Acts 9, verse 1. What happens if you think that you're a genuine follower of Christ... And then years go by in your life, you think you're serving God, but you suddenly find out that you're not. How can we know if we're true believers or we're just deep fakes who truly think that we are? I won't share the whole story uh, of how the Holy Spirit led my family here 10,000 miles from um, a mission field in South Asia to this humble, wonderful church at Piperton. But before... uh, you, your search team, called us. They wanted to hear me preach a live sermon. And of course, most of the time I was speaking on missions, but they wanted to hear me preach a regular message. And so uh, I asked, I was asked to preach by Dr. Sam Braswell over at Covenant Baptist Church on Houston Levy, just up the street from Skybox around the corner from Landers Ford. Uh, and um, it, Dr. Braswell was the lead pastor um, uh, of that church uh, for goodness, more than uh, more than a decade, and of course, you know, the, I preached. Uh, you, you called me, and the rest is history. I came on Mother's Day of 2018. That's when you you voted voted me in as your new pastor. Well, about three months after that, during the invitation of Covenant Baptist Church, uh, someone came forward at Covenant Baptist Church to profess Christ, and it was none other than. The pastor, Dr. Sam Braswell, he came forward in his own service uh, and um, after serving them for over a decade and then two months and he, and he, and he, about two months later, he had an incredible testimony through this uh, and about two months later, uh, he was asked to share his testimony at First Baptist Church Sevierville. I actually reached out to Sam this week. And I said, Sam, is, is your testimony on video anywhere? And he said, yeah, I, I actually shared it two months after the event, after it happened, after his salvation in, at First Baptist Sevierville, Tennessee. And so I asked him with his permission to share a clip of this, but don't play it yet. I want to set this up because I'm only showing you a few minutes of, of a 30-minute clip. Uh, God had been working on Sam's heart and, and tugging on him because he was preaching through Matthew. And he came to Matthew 7, 21, and it says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And that's what set up this testimony we're about to watch. In preaching those messages, there's turmoil going on in my heart. I'm struggling with this somehow or another. I got through that. So for a number of weeks, this is what I was dealing with. And then on Monday night, August the 20th, I woke up early in the night. I was in cold sweat. I could not sleep. I was up and down, back and forth, in and out of the bedroom all night long. And somehow I made it through that night. Made it through the next several days. And on Saturday night, August the 25th, same thing happened again. I woke up and I was up most all the night. 
wrestling with what needed to be done. And you know, really, I came to the conclusion there were about three options that I had. There were three options. My first option was this, just don't do anything. Just keep going on like I'm going. Nobody would know anything. I could just keep doing what I'm doing and nobody would know any difference. I could just keep going. Second option I felt like I had was I could get down on my knees and ask God to forgive me and save me, but then I'd get up and I'd say, now Lord, this is going to be between me and you. He ain't telling nobody. But you know, I thought about it and I realized neither one of those were viable options. I sure couldn't go on like I was going. I couldn't keep living like I was living. I was miserable. And you know, Pastor Dan, it's ironic because there's so many times at the end of the message, I'd say something like this. You know, I pray you're miserable until you get things settled in your heart. It came home to me. <laughs> well, I knew that I couldn't get down on my knees and say, Lord, forgive me, save me, and then not tell anybody about it because the Bible says this. If, if you don't confess me before men, I will not confess you before my Father. But if you do confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father. So that morning, it was 4.07 on Sunday morning, August the 26th, just two months ago. I got on my face before God, and I humbled myself before Him. And I said, Lord, I'm so sorry. Lord, I'm a sinner. And I've never, never truly repented of my sins and asked you to forgive me and save me. And so, Lord, I want you to save me. Can I tell you something? He did. <laughs> he did. And I'm so thankful. I am so... You say now... now. Uh, so, so I got up, I talked to my wife, and, and, and you know, we got ready. To get, so I had to go to church that day. So I told you already, I had to tell people about it. So I get up. Can you imagine, you know, showing up in church? I've been passionate. I pastored that church for 12 years. Showing up, and, and you come to church that day, and that's what you hear. You're talking about upsetting. You say, weren't you embarrassed? Weren't you worried about what people think? Now listen, I'm saying with, this, with all the love I can muster in my heart, I'm not being mean-spirited and I want you to hear me. I don't care what people think. <laughs> hey, you understand what I'm saying? I don't care what people think. Mm, what, what a testimony. Mm. There's a guy in Acts chapter 9 who thinks he's safe and saved, but he was actually an enemy of God. Uh, actively fighting against God, and he didn't even know it. His name was Saul, Paul, and he eventually trusts Christ for real. We'll look at that today. But we're going to read his conversion story, and we're going to ask questions. We're going to ask what indicators from Paul's life before Christ can help me know if my faith is fake or is it real? Because I can't think of anything that are gonna, that's going to make us more thankful this holiday season than the assurance of our own salvation. So I want us to read God's word today. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. These are the words of God. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found anyone belonging to the way, that's the Christian faith, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you'll be told what you are to do. The men 
who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. He didn't say, Who are you, Lord? He said, Here I am. He, he knew the voice of the Lord. Verse 11, And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he's praying, and he's seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias said, uh, answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he's done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road uh, by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying he is the son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, is, this not, is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come for here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. I want to ask Chad Johnson to come and ask God to have his hand on the message and the service today. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for uh, this day uh, with our church group. Thank you for uh, keeping us safe and healthy through the Thanksgiving holiday with our families and friends traveling. Uh, continue to keep us safe uh, in this upcoming Christmas holiday as well for uh, safe travels for friends and family. Uh, thank you for everybody here, dear Lord. Thank you for uh, everything you do for us on a daily basis. Watch over this uh, country. Uh, keep us in your prayers and uh, watch over us. And in dear Lord, we pray. Amen. 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 I read an article this past week uh, that was really funny to me. It, it was about, well, part of it was funny. It was about Elon Musk's uh, SpaceX Starship test flight that ended in, a, in an explosion last Saturday, Saturday a week ago. Now, this was an unmanned starship, so nobody died. But it's, it was designed and tested to help carry NASA astronauts to the moon and to Mars. It's the world's tallest and most powerful launch system. It was 400 feet tall, and it took off from Boca Chica Beach. I don't know if I pronounced that right, in South Texas. And it crashed into the Gulf of Mexico. Now, to be fair, the engineers... Uh, probably expected some problems to occur, and it did accomplish several of their goals that the that the first one didn't. The the first one also exploded. <laughs> but here's what's funny about the news report: the news reports didn't say that the vehicle blew up. It didn't say that it exploded, which the videos clearly. I mean, it was massive. All right, uh, don't look it up right now. But what they said. 
was that the Starship, get this, this is what I love. It experienced a rapid, unscheduled disassembly. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? So listen, listen, hey kids, listen. When mom or dad blow a gasket in the car because some guys camped out in the left lane going five miles under the speed limit next to an 18-wheeler for 400 miles, all right? Just know that we're not, we're not blowing a gasket. We would never, okay? We don't lose our temper. We're, we're adults, we're grown-ups. No, what we're experiencing is a rapid, unscheduled disassembly, all right? So I think it sounds a lot better, don't you? Do a temper tantrum or had a rapid, unscheduled disassembly. Well, listen, that's exactly what happened to Dr. Sam Braswell. Everything he had been thinking that's exactly what happened to the SpaceX Starship, and that's exactly what happened to Paul on the road to Damascus. Last week, uh, we knew Ahithophel was a deep fake because he used his knowledge and experience against the Lord, and that's exactly what Paul was doing. It's not just that he was brilliant. It's that he used that genius against the church, all the while thinking he was serving God. So how can we glean from his conversion to help ourselves know if we're really converted, right? I want us to ask ourselves three questions today. Number one, am I convinced I must do something for God to love me? Am I convinced that I must do something for God to love me? Paul was definitely a doer. Right in our passage today in Acts 9, verse 1, it says he was still breathing out threats and uh, murder against the disciples. He even went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues uh, at Damascus so that if any, he found anyone belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And it, all throughout the New Testament, we see this effort, all this effort that, that he was putting in to his work. If we leap forward uh, after Paul was saved, he was sharing in Acts chapter 26, verse 9, saying, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Paul was convinced that he must do many things. Pastor Sam was studying Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Well, aren't they doing it? Well, verse 22, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we did. We did your will. We, I mean, did we not prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do many mighty works in your name? There are people who are convinced that they're all good with the man upstairs. I have literally had people tell me this before. They've said something along the lines of, well, me and the man upstairs, we've got an agreement. I was like, oh, okay. I didn't know he was taking bribes, and I didn't know you had anything worthy to offer. <laughs> Listen, it's, it's sad. There, Paul's words in Philippians 3.2 say, look out for the dogs. And church, he's referring to what he himself used to be. Who are these dogs? Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. What's he talking about? Right? Who's he calling evildoers? Well, mutilating the flesh, it was, was basically saying Jews were trusting in the physical act of circumcision to get them into heaven. 
Evildoers are those who trust in anything other than Jesus to win them favor with God. That's why Paul continues in verse 3. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence, he says. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. And he goes into all these Jewish rites, you know, like circumcised on the eighth day, the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless, perfect. And then he says, but whatever I gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. And it's rubbish. Now, church, I know plenty of people who think they're saved by faith, but they don't live that way. They don't pray that way. They don't treat others that way. Uh, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, we know a lot of y'all know those verses. For by grace you're saved through faith and not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of good works, lest any man should boast. And then verse 10, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Don't get that preposition wrong. We're not created in Christ Jesus by good works. We're created for them. Uh, he continues in verse 8 of Philippians 3. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. That's the equivalent of saying a bad word in church. Manure. That's what I count them. In order that I may gain Christ. In order to gain Christ, I have to cast aside all this work, all my, what I think is worthy and worth something. I cast it aside. It's, it's manure. It's junk. It's worthless. I cast it aside in order to gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on on faith. That's what separates. That's what separates from all other cults and religions. They're all just trying to climb that hill to God. When we have a God who climbed down the hill to us, grace is what produces every believer. There is no believer that's produced with anything else but grace. The person not seeking God until he drew you to him. The person not convicted of sin until God revealed your sin to, to you through his law. The person unable to be eternally forgiven until God sent us his son to die for our sin. I used to quote this famous uh, saying, pray like it all depends on uh, God and serve like it all depends on you. That's really not a good quote. No offense to whoever said it. We should... Pray and serve like it all depends on God because the energy we bring to the table in our faith comes from knowing that it's not our energy. <laughs> Don't get caught thinking Christ uh, saves you through faith, but living, responding, and treating others as if works save you. That's really where judgment comes from. The judgment of others, the condescension, the pride, that's where it comes from. Because you think you're better than somebody else. I share the illustration all the time. If we all lined up right now on the banks of the Mississippi River and had a jumping contest to see who could get across, some of y'all would jump further than me based on your good works, based on your holiness, your just earthly holiness, right? Your morals. Some will jump further. 
Obviously, there are, if we start counting, I don't know how you do that, if you can even count the number of sins you commit in one day, because we don't know enough of the Bible to even count all our sins. But if we jump, some are going to jump further. But I'll tell you this, ain't none of them getting across. <laughs> they're all going to drown, or they're all getting wet, all right? And so, we're all sinners, and so we should depend fully on him. Matthew 7, 16, you will recognize them by their fruits and are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles. So every healthy tree bears good fruit. Well, hold on a second. Those are great verses, but doesn't that contradict what you just said? No, because it says, don't forget, the only healthy tree is the one that knows its fruit won't save them. That's what makes it healthy. <laughs> The tree that produces fruit is the tree that knows Christ alone is our salvation. We're complete in him. He doesn't need us to do anything for him. And that's the moment Christian service comes alive and becomes a joy. I love my wife more knowing she loves me unconditionally. And she's a sinner just like me. How much more a perfect savior in heaven ushers in and causes us to sing the glorious songs we've sung this morning. Because you get it. You know it. He loves you unconditionally. I'm not working in the nursery. I'm not teaching a small group or cooking for the men's breakfast or folding tables after the Thanksgiving meal to get brownie points with Jesus. I've got all the brownie points I need already through the blood of Jesus Christ. You ain't gonna get any more brownie points than that. Question number one, am I convinced I must do something for God to love me? If that's your case, you might not be a true believer. You might be a deep fake. Question number two, am I continuing to live without biblical change? Acts 9-1, Saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. How can a person as smart as Paul be so blind to his own hypocrisy? <laughs> he was break. I mean, this is a guy who should have known the law uh, Leviticus 19 verse 17 says, you shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people. That includes Alabama fans. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. That's Pentateuch 101. Pentateuch's the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Also, AKA the Torah. Paul should have known that. He would have known that. And Jesus said over in Matthew 5, when he's interpreting the law, Matthew 5, 17, don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And right after Jesus says that, he explains what he means. He basically gives an illustration of his, of his own biblical interpretation of the law. And he uses this phrase over and over. You've heard that it was said, but I tell you. You've heard that it was said, but I tell you. He's, he's helping you understand the heart of the law. I'll give you a few examples. Matthew 5, 21. You've heard that it was said uh, to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I tell you that everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable for judgment. Now, that, that, does, that doesn't mean that uh, when someone sins against you, you can't have biblical anger, but that's not what he's talking about there. Uh, Matthew 5, 27, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you uh, that everyone who lo looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery in, uh, with her in his heart. 
Jesus says in Matthew 5, 43, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor uh, and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Biblical change means interpreting the Bible correctly. Christ produces change. Paul should have uh, seen his own lack of change and known something was off. Of course he does once God reveals it to him. But he was still breathing out threats. He hadn't stopped. And some of you in this room profess Christ but you refuse to stop continuing in certain sins. Again, listen, faith saves us and sinning is gonna continue. But what, let me ask yourself this question, what evidence in my life shows any measure of spirit-filled resistance to sin? What are you doing to resist sin? If there's nothing, <laughs> then, then something's wrong. If you're not resisting, it doesn't mean we're not going to fail. It doesn't mean God's not going to forgive us. But if you have no steps toward resistance, now I believe the majority of you are resisting sin, just so you know. <laughs> we all fail daily, but I believe you're actively fighting against temptation with the power of the Holy Spirit and the authority of the Word of God. But for those who aren't, for those who are continuing in habitual sins, unrepentant, Take note, 1 John 3, verse 6, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Verse 18, we know that everyone who's been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who is born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. So these words like continue, keeps on, practices, right? If you're driving your car through the caution cones of God's holy word and never tapping the brakes, you might be a deep fake Christian. And the only one you're conning is yourself. Biblical change means looking at ways that our lives can be corrected to better honor Jesus. Paul may have thought that he was working for God. He may have thought that he was keeping the law, but he was actively fighting against the work of God. That's why uh, Jesus says to Paul in Acts 9, verse 4, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He said, who are you, Lord? He said, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. Now, part of that's awesome because it means if you mess with one of us as children of God, you're messing with God. He doesn't say, why did you stone Paul and hold, have Paul, uh, uh, Stephen stoned and hold his clothes? He doesn't say, why are you uh, putting these people in jail? That's not what Jesus says. He doesn't say, why are you persecuting them? He says, why are you persecuting me? Which means you mess with a Christian, you are messing with God. I mean, I don't know how to translate that any clearer, which is encouraging. You know, it's, it's encouraging to our souls. If we, though, interpret the law of God without the filtering grace of God, then we are enemies of God. I'm not doing anything against God. Let me say this again. If we interpret the Bible the biblical laws of God, without the filtering grace of God, we are enemies of God. You've made mockery of his grace. When I see kids grow up in legalistic, heavy-handed homes, it breaks my heart. They often go nuts when they get one stitch of freedom, right? And by the way, that doesn't negate loving parents who try to 
provide structure and boundaries for their kids. And it doesn't excuse their kids' sins. No Christian can ever say, well, I sin because they sin. No, that doesn't fly in heaven. I'm for requiring your kids to do things. I'm for requiring them to go to church. You make them go to everything else. <laughs> you make them go to practice. You make them go to school. You make them go to, uh, to Aunt Sally's birthday party that they don't even know, right? And introduce them to, to cousins they never knew they had. So it's not wrong to, to force them to do something, right? But the spirit of the laws that you enforce in your homes matter as much as the law you're enforcing. And the people that lack the love in, in the law often have insane kids. <laughs> uh, I don't know why I was insane. My parents were pretty awesome, but I still rebelled. <laughs> it doesn't protect you from everything. There's a turning point, though, in every deep fake where they don't just acknowledge the existence of Jesus and the sacrifice and the resurrection of Jesus. It's, it's where they actually trust him enough to do what he says. Acts 22, 8 says, and I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I'm Jesus of Nazareth, whom you're persecuting. Now, those who were with me saw the light, but didn't understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, rise and go to Damascus. I'll give you, I'll give you more instructions when you get there, right? When we continue to live in sin or even continue to misinterpret the laws of God so that they bring about zero change in the direction, in the listening, the way we listen, the way we speak, the way we act, we might be a kind. Question number one, am I convinced I must do something for God to love me? Question two, am I continuing to live without biblical change? And question number three, am I confessing Jesus? Paul went from threatening to confessing just that fast. Acts 9, 19, uh, for some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, which had to have been formative days. So he already saw the biblical example of Ananias and the, you know, obeying God. Now he's seeing all these disciples in Damascus, the ones he came to persecute. And verse 20, immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying he is the son of God. You don't have to go to an evangelism class when you get good news. <laughs> All who heard him were amazed and said, is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem? He confounded everybody. Because Philippians 3.10, Paul says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And you can't know the power of his resurrection unless you confess him yourself and confess him to others. And Paul keeps going uh, in verse 12, not that I've already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus made me his own. Brothers, I don't consider that I've made it my own. I'm not there yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, some of y'all are still camped out in what lies behind. Get over it. Accept the forgiveness of God and go. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Immediately, he's proclaiming Jesus in the synagogue, saying he is the Son of God. Friend, there is no deep, fake conversion that excludes the proclamation of Jesus. He is Jesus. He's the one you and me were persecuting just by not believing in him. He's the Jesus who chose to reveal himself to us. He's the Jesus who died and rose to secure our place in eternity through faith. And true believers know him. They can answer this question better than any question in life. And they love him so much that they've got to tell someone else about it. Listen. We men, if we get a new tool that works better than another one, we're like, oh, you got you to get this, right? 
a recipe. Oh, you got to try this recipe so easy. How many times did y'all swap recipes at Thanksgiving? Oh my goodness. Oh, it's so easy. By the way, don't ever tell me a recipe. It's just, it's just not going to stay. All right. I don't do cooking. Right. And Vicky prefers it that way. And that's just how it is in our home. Good for you. But it's like a man speaking car talk or computer talk. You're just like, blah, blah. I just smile. And I, okay. Oh, it's easy. I'm like, yeah, you're just a food snob. All right. But if you get a good recipe, you're going to tell someone. If you got a good vacation spot, you're going to tell your friends about it. If you've got a good fishing hole or a good hunting spot, you're going to tell no one because that's just the way it is. <laughs> Listen, you don't just confess Christ when you come forward. You don't just confess him when you're baptized. You're confessing him as a way of life. You husbands aren't going to get away with saying, well, I told my wife I loved her on her when we got married. I don't, I, didn't, I don't need to keep saying it. Yes, you do. Every day, every minute you're awake, you need to be telling her. And that's how it is with Christ. We need to be telling people about Jesus. Question number one, am I convinced I must do something for God to love me? You might be a deep faith. Am I continuing to live without biblical change? It might be a deep faith. And am I confessing Jesus? If you want assurance of your salvation, don't think that God, doesn't lo that God loves you for your works. If you want assurance of your salvation, make steps toward biblical change. And it's called sanctification. And confess Christ to others. And you will find the assurance of your salvation flooding in your home like crazy and into your heart. Do something for the Lord, but not because he demands it of you, but because you get to. I don't, if I had to tell my wife I loved her, it would be no fun, right? That's what gifts, we, we give gifts all the time. Gifts that people don't deserve, but we give them because it's a joy to give them. How much more so to our Lord? Well, would you stand? Father God, I, I pray that if there's anyone here today that doesn't know you, I don't know how better to share the gospel truth than the wonderful testimony of Paul who thought he was doing it right, but wasn't. And I pray if there's people in here that may have, they may have been thinking because they come to church or because they grew up in a Christian home that they're just gonna squeak on into heaven and there's some backdoor deal that nobody knows about. And Father, that's just a lie. And I pray right now if there's someone here that does not know you truly, that in their own heart and soul they would confess you. Lord, it, Paul was so thrilled. He had such a, a, a radical, uh, rapid, unscheduled disassembly, <laughs> but you put him back together. You put all the pieces back together because you're God, you're our creator. And you need us to be broken so that we can be patched by the king of all kings. And I pray you would patch someone up today <laughs> through saving faith and repentance. I pray they call on your name. I pray for others that may just need, they, there may have been something in your word that uh, pricked their heart and they need to confess a sin to you or sins to you specifically. Or they may need to confess to someone. Pray you would lead them to do it. My, my desire is that everyone here would be obedient to what the Spirit is speaking to us today. I pray that if there's some that want to come and be part of this church family and begin to serve here, they'd come and join our church. And I pray for those.
those that may want to confess you publicly and come and be saved, that they do so. We ask these things in Jesus' name. sermon audio from Piperton Baptist Church in Piperton, Tennessee. For more information on how you can get connected with PBC, please visit www.pipertonbaptist.com.